This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. What isn't in the what's news, it, Andrew? What's in, what's in the news? I uh, NASA's going to launch something into the sun, which sounds like something I want to sign up for. That sounds like a waste of money. <laughs> like, you know what's going to happen to it. Okay. What's your, what's the end game? Like, you just, let, I, <laughs> I think the goal is NASA, that NASA, you don't have any money anyway. Can you really afford to be launching stuff into the sun? I think the goal is for it to like call us on the way and like, yo, it's getting hot. Yo, I'm so upset that you did this to me. (laughs) It's getting hotter in here. Call Nelly. The sun is getting hot. Mm. Um, Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. This week, we're going to be talking about Five Children and It by E. Nesbitt. But first, Andrew, I need you to just remember the movie Twister. When they threw I all do that, remember the movie they Twister. threw all those like garbage computers up into a. They twister. threw the little the little computer balls up in there to get a picture of the twister. Now I don't think that those computer balls were supposed to be recovered because they're going to get thrown around by. No, you're a just force trying to get the data about the, trying to get the data about the twister and like so see that, all the cows and stuff in there. I I think that's why we're throwing something at the sun, is to learn more about it. Okay, I think that's how I prefer to learn stuff about things. <laughs> it's just it's to hook stuff at it. Yeah, I don't know if you knew this, but baseball players learn stuff all the time. I bet they do about baseball. That's and they're just always on a quest for knowledge, one ball at a time. At one ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, let's only talk pit- about books. only pitchers though. <laughs> only the pitchers. So each week, one of us reads a book and talks about it to the other. And the other person asks questions or makes jokes. Or just like sits there. I don't know. Yeah, we don't know. It changes week to week. Um, so this book that we're talking about was published when... Let me look it up. I think it's 1902. It, it is, is, ni- it is 1902. I'm surprised you didn't have that up already. I, it's there. I just was looking at something else. Um, e. Nesbitt is the pen name of Edith Nesbitt. It's, Edith very, or, it's very creative. Yes, or Edith Bland. Um, I presume she took that name because, like, maybe it wasn't a woman and it was the turn of the century, so, like, being a dude would help you get published. Yeah, like, possibly. It, it's not as uh, not as comprehensive in an identity change as, like, the Currer-Bell school of, of sure, sure. changes. But sure, yeah, E. Nesbitt, that's fine. Um, I know she was born in 1858 and she died in 1924, probably of lung cancer. We don't really, it's always a little bit of a question when it's that old, but probably of lung cancer. Um, She was an English author and poet. She wrote um, more than 60 books of children's literature, either by herself or as a collaboration with other people. And um, her other claim to fame is that she was one of nine co-founders of something called the Fabian Society, which is a... um, 
it's a British socialist organization. It's affiliated with the Labour Party, mm-hmm. and um, it tries to advance values of of democratic socialism, like from within the system, like gradually and with and with reforms, and yeah. not with with revolutionary overthrow. <laughs> Shaw was actually a member of it as well. Back in because uh, back in the day, like people, there were some. There was a lot of revolutionary overthrow going on. Yep, yep. Well, and actually, I find it interesting that members of the Fabian Society, including Shaw, actually went on to fund, like, create the London School of Economics, which is like interesting that your entire economic school would be created by a more radical wing. But but what you've said, like, change from within. Like, you're not just, like, burning the entire system down. Um, yeah, right. But so she actually... They're like, wouldn't it be nice if eventually there was socialism? Yeah, but we you can't just get to the sun. You have to launch yourself there. It's going to take a long time. Uh-huh. And you have to make a bunch of gradual changes to capitalism along the way. Um, so Nesbitt, as you said, Andrew was born in 1858... She traveled around as a kid with her parents because her sister Mary was ill. Um, I don't know from what, and I don't know why just like roaming the countryside of England is the right thing to do there. Yeah, I mean, her, her dad died when she was three, so it was just her her mom and oh, okay. them for a bit. And I think in in this era, like if you're talking about like late 19th century if somebody has some kind of chronic illness, I think you just kind of move around trying to look for agreeable weather that that person That's, will yeah. flourish in. So, Get out of the apartment that has mold in it and whatnot. Yeah, yeah you just got to go to warmer climbs so you can take <laughs> in the country air. And then your your consumption will get better. Yeah, so she's seven. they spent three years in Kent, um, in the countryside. And that- Who's Kent? I don't know. It's a place. In, yes, it, they were inside of a man named Kent for several years. Mm-hmm. I hate you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that ended up inspiring some of the work that she wrote about kids, including uh, this one, and including, I think, the Railway Children. Uh, is that another it book of hers? Like, yeah, the Railway Children. I like. I it was, keep that thinking was about adapted, the boxcar kids. I know, or right? It was adapted into a 1970 film. Um, yeah, and I don't know if if it has any affiliation at all with the Boxcar Children. Probably not. Probably not. It sounds like a store brand sort of, like oh, the, like your Doctor Thunders, <laughs> right? If you got like the wrong kind of book fair, they and you went looking for Boxcar Children books, they would have the Railway Children, sure, and sure. Juice Pimples. <laughs> Gross. Hate that word. <laughs> uh, so then she moved with her family back to London in seven when she was age seventeen, and she met a man named Hubert Bland. Oh Andrew. man, let's talk a bit about Hubert Bland. Hit because... me with your Hubert Bland facts. Oh my god, best name. All right, so Worst so name. all right to get started. They got married when she was seven months pregnant. With yeah, I think she was twenty two at the time or something. like So that. Yeah. nice, nice. Um. But early in their marriage, she found out there was another woman who thought that she was his fiance. Cool. And she also was was pregnant by him and was gonna have a kid. It's like the it's like those stories you hear about the Facebook person finding their husband's like secret other family on Facebook, oh, except without no. Facebook. <laughs> except if the secret family just like showed up. 
Um, so there, there's that. And then there is another incident with uh, her friend Alice Hotson. Okay. Um, who he also knocked up. Good job, nice Mr. Bland. Hubert Bland. And she was she was mad and she was gonna she was gonna leave and, and it was she was just gonna be gone. But uh but Hubert prevailed upon her to let um Alice stay on as a housekeeper, which she did for many years. Um and Nesbitt ended up adopting both the first child that uh Hotson and Bland had, and then also another kid that the two of them had thirteen years later. Thirteen years later. So this dude just had problems, like, keeping it in his pants. Hubert Bland was a very sexual creature. He was an extremely sexual being. And, like, listen, I get it. I mean, like, I, like, trust me, I get it. But, sir, you should just lock yourself up. You know on Buffy, when the werewolf boy would, like, lock himself up so that he didn't hurt anyone? Yeah, so you're suggesting that Hubert Bland turns into some kind of sex werewolf. <laughs> I'm fairly certain. During I've... the full moon. Okay. Yes, I think that is exactly what happens. Uh, so he died in 1917, presumably from overexertion, and... <laughs> Nesbitt married somebody named Thomas Tucker a few years later, which is a good name. His, Excuse his nickname me, Thomas was the, Skipper. the Skipper Tucker. Yes, uh, Thomas don't forget. the Skipper Tucker. And they were married until she died. Yeah. In that's, 24. That's and I think he that. died in the same house in like 35. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she would end up like influencing folks like C.S. Lewis. And even you can trace the line to someone like J.K. Rowling. Um, yeah, because her her whole deal was um, she used like real world settings and like realistic, I guess scenarios in in her sure. stories. So so if you like at this point you have people like Lewis Carroll who are writing stories that where it's like people but not really people, <laughs> and they go into like some fantastical other world and they have this stuff happen to them and then they find their way back to the real world later maybe but um but nesbitt's thing was uh realistic contemporary children in real world settings though um often with like magical objects yes so So, that's yeah there's a clear lineage between that and like your harry potter's where it's Certainly. like, what if there is a fantastical world or some kind of fantastical element like hidden away in our in our humdrum everyday lives? Yeah, um, I think that's all. That's I... pretty much it. Like, I just I have that Lewis um, mentioned some of her characters in one of the Narnia books, mm-hmm. and this guy named Michael Moorcock wrote steampunk novels that use um, one of the children from her book, the the what's it, the Treasure Seekers, as okay. A, He's an adult in these steampunk books, and he's like the protagonist. Sure. Okay. And then some woman named uh, Jacqueline Wilson has written a sequel to Five Children and It called, guess what, Four Children and Wait, It. Wait, I hope it's not just that one of the kids died. <laughs> I hope. Um, it's, I don't know. I think it's said in the, I no, I think I read about that one. It's like. There are three uh, other books in this in this series. There are, yes. Or, um, yeah, two other books in this series written by Nesbitt, and then apparently this, I guess, like, the rights must have expired, this, like, fan I, fiction sequel. I think it, there's some Mary Suing. I think, like, uh, the, the kids want to meet some of the kids from Five Children and It in that book, as I understand, which is always a great, you know, it's a great way to revisit a work of classic fiction. Uh-huh is to write a book where other kids get to go inside of it. 
Like Captain and the Game Master? Or the Magic School Bus. Okay, that's fine too. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to talk about Captain and the Game Master, but we can talk about <laughs> Do Magic you want School Bus. We could talk about Captain and the Game Master. It just, like, did you ever want, while you're playing Nintendo, to get sucked into the TV like he did? I, yeah. I always Why felt, not? like, kind of weird about his parents, because they must not have known what happened. Unless, yeah. Is it, like, a Jumanji thing, or is it, like, he comes out of the NES and no time has passed? I guess I don't, yeah, I don't know. I didn't see the series finale of that one. I don't know if <laughs> Kevin Keen, I think was his name, ever made it back to the real world. I just remember an episode where he was trapped in like a Tetris column and just have blocks falling at his head. Yes. There is also, I think Mega Man was a recurring character and he was and he very, like very a, annoying. Yeah. He had like a weird smoker's voice. It he was had like just... a two pack a day voice and he said Mega before everything. So uh, five children, it, who are these five children and what is it? Oh, great. I'm glad that you asked. Mm -hmm. There are five children. Okay. It takes place uh, probably contemporaneous to uh, our good friend Edith's time period. Right at the turn of the 20th century here. Yeah. They're like Edwardian era kids, late 19th, maybe turn of the century. Just eating their Um, gruel and trying to make it in the big city. Well, no, actually, because their family has left London. And okay. moved to Kent, and okay. I think they are probably like upper middle class. Like they have a maid named Martha, and they have a cook, um, and they just got this house. And so, before I talk about the kids, I'll just set up the fact that like Dad has to leave for business, just unspecified business, like you know, dads do. Business. Dad business. And mom has to leave, and they all really like their mom, but she has to leave to like tend to her her ailing mother or something like that. And so these kids are in the countryside. It's probably summer vacation. I don't know. They don't go to school. They just run around. And here are here are their names. There's Cyril. He's the eldest boy, and his nickname is Squirrel. Okay. There's Anthea, the eldest sister, whose all whose nickname is Panther. <laughs> Because that sounds like her name. <laughs> so That's a pretty good nickname. Uh, there's Jane, the younger sister, whose nickname is Pussy. I think that's like a British thing. Yeah. Like no, a cat but, thing. But I don't but I don't like it. I don't like it either. I don't I know there's context and stuff. I just I don't like it. I don't like it. I didn't like it in the book one bit. Um there's Robert, the middle brother. Uh, who, according to this like back of the book guide, likes being in charge, uh, and although he is not unkind, he loves to play practical jokes, and his okay. nickname is Bob's, which is Bob, pretty Bob, good. Okay, Bob's. And then there's a baby um, who they all refer to as the Lamb, um, because the first thing he ever said was "ba," and his name is Hillary Saint Moore Devereux, so the Lamb is better. <laughs> Such a big name for such a little baby. Yeah, it's he. That baby stinks. And Do you we'll think that like Hillary Saint Moore Devereux, Devereux or whatever you said? Do you think that was like the most popular baby name of 1903? Like after this book came out, that and Clarence. I bet mm. Clarence is a good name. Sure, but yeah, I bet a lot of kids were named Hillary after that, male and female. Anything, mm-hmm. just name your kid Hillary Saint Moore Devereux. Mm-hmm. 
after that classic character, the lamb. You just sound like a rich, it. like a rich collector of antiques <laughs> with that name. Like that's the only <laughs> occupation that's open to you. Yeah, that's true. So the kids, these five, these five children, are in this big house in Kent. The book for like five pages refers to it as the White House because it's like really big and white. Um, really, it's a a white house it even capitalizes the w and the h come on (laughs) i don't think it is trying to make any sort of american reference it is just interesting reading it as an american person like okay they're living in their white house and they're getting bored in there stop me if you've heard this one um (laughs) so the house is located reference yeah the house is located between like a chalk quarry and a gravel pit so just great Mm -hmm. times all around yeah really two different kinds of rocks like that's like that's a ton of different kinds of rocks Uh uh-huh that's what you did for fun back then was identify the different kinds of rocks yep and they decide to go digging in the gravel pit which is kind of like going to the beach except there's no water like it's really sandy and the sand is really big like big It hasn't been broken down into sand yet. And they decide to dig a pit to Australia. Um, okay. Which I get. I And I'm thinking back on that. Like, when I was a kid, you go to the beach, you're digging a hole to China. But sure. I guess, I guess British kids would dig to Australia? I don't yeah, know well, that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you keep talking. I'm going to look up like a world map. Like a globe? Yeah, like a globe. I'm just going to see if I can draw any lines here. <laughs> okay, you tell me where you dig to. Um, so while they're digging to Australia, uh, Anthea, you're looking skeptical right no, now. No, I'm just saying, like, if if being able to dig to China is a thing for us, then I guess digging to Australia would be a thing for the British kids. But okay. I think you'd probably be more likely to hit the ocean. Yeah, I think all of us would be more likely to hit the ocean or magma. Just like statistically. Well, I mean, it's assuming when you dig the hole that you make it through the mantle and the Earth's core and all the stuff down there. Yeah, yeah. And and the book does. So Nesbitt, the author, is ostensibly like talking to you, the reader. Um, the like the voice of the narrator does have like asides. And sure, comments and just, on the action. just where she's like, oh, and and reader, I tell you this about what these kids didn't yep. realize or were yep. about to yep, encounter yep, yep, yep. or whatever. Yeah, sure, that's um, a pretty common trope in books like this, and I think Lewis does it in Narnia yes. on occasion. And in this time, like writing from this era, certainly. So, um, she is. She even comments on the fact that they think that like there are going to be people in Australia like walking around upside down on the ceiling because you know I guess none of these kids have been to school. <laughs> sure. <know. laughs> Uh, so while they're digging, Anthea is like digging in this hole while the other kids got bored and she comes across this creature that, uh, is called a Samiad, P-S-A-M-M-E-A-D. And it's like a sand fairy. That's what it calls itself. Think like dryads or naiads. Yeah. Except for sand. Except for sand. And it's not like a hot lady. (laughs) like dryads are um i'm gonna describe it to you from the book okay its eyes were on long horns like a snail's eyes and it could move them in and out like telescopes it had ears like a bat's ears and its tubby body was shaped like a spider's and covered with thick soft fur its legs and arms were furry too and it had hands and feet like a monkey's same same (laughs) 
And all the kids are just talking about how like kind of gross it is. And yeah, how I mean, I always like felt it. like the dryads and the naiads were a little like, oh, I, I want like let's make these rivers like hot women, and uh-huh. then you can like want to smooch a river or like. Yeah, it is like you're gonna just have sex with this river. What is that about? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm glad that like I'm glad that the spirit of everything is not just sexy ladies. Are you glad? Yeah. No, I'm just like, it's good to have oh, to have variety. Some variety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, so this Samiad comes out, and apparently it hasn't seen people in like thousands of years. And it's been around forever, and it starts, like it explains that its job is to grant wishes to people. Okay. Um, and when... What are the? Uh, are you going to lay out some rules? Like there are always rules when something appears out of nowhere and says it's going to give you wishes. Well, and the it doesn't seem to like giving wishes as part of the issue, but it can. Um, the the relationship in the before times was when there were lots of them. Was that men and women will walk up to it and say like, "Give me a pterodactyl, please," and <laughs> and then you would eat the pterodactyl. Uh, or you would eat the plesiosaur or the megatheriums or whatever. And uh, one of the kids is like, well, why would there not just be like lots of cold meat just like lying around? Because they couldn't possibly eat all those dinosaurs. And right. He says, it's like the like what happens to the meat you can't carry back to the wagon in Oregon Trail. Yeah. Well, apparently this meat turns to stone, Andrew, and that's why we have fossils. Oh, okay. <laughs> And so Story the rule out. is the rule of the the wishes from the Samiad, who is the titular it, which they don't they don't always refer to it as it, but they go back and forth. But that's like his main name. Yeah, um, it doesn't go by like Sammy or something like that. Um, is Sandy. that the wishes that it gives uh, expire at sunset, and usually things left behind like turn to stone. And so they are, and also like it's allergic to water in the same way that like those aliens from signs are, which like doesn't make scientific sense, but whatever. Sure. Uh, You got to have rules. Don't feed it after midnight. Don't get water on it. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it's like, okay, well, uh, I'll give you a wish. Like hurry up about it, I guess. And one of them, they basically it like reaches a deal with them where it's going to give them one wish a day if they show up. And he, uh, he's like, okay, go for it. Give me a wish. Give me a wish. Give me a wish. And the one girl, Anthea, panics and says, I wish we were all as beautiful as the day. Hmm. And that seems in- like it seems <laughs> the other rule, like, like the unspoken one, is you can't, you just can't leave that much wiggle room for for there to be different interpretations of your wish like the, so, the wish yes. needs to be very specific and straightforward to prevent like monkey's paw situations well this whole book is a series of monkey paw situations andrew so mm-hmm. uh which ironically also published in like 1902 so you um you <laughs> the kids uh, first of all i want to know which day like monday like beautiful as a tuesday or a friday might depend because then you might get like different types of beautiful, you okay. Know? Um, but anyway, they all become basically strangers. Like they don't, they're just all wicked beautiful, and they don't recognize each other. And their poor baby brother doesn't recognize them either, so it freaks out. 
and the sand fairy runs away and is like, see you tomorrow, I guess. <laughs> You're all pretty now. Mm-hmm. And they have a terrible day because they go home and their maid doesn't recognize them and threatens to call the cops. And so they just have to like hang out in the woods until sunset when they're like ugly again. I, it's like kind of just normal looking, but they do like make fun of each other later. It's like, I've never been so happy to see all your messy freckles or whatever. <laughs> okay. Um, and one of the thing that one of the things that they bemoan a lot in the middle of the day is like they can't get food because they like can't go home because the maid doesn't know who they are. And this is a running theme of these wish chapters. And this is the rest of the book is like every day there's a new wish and then like something weird happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times it's about how they like get hungry and then make a choice based on that, or that's one of the obstacles. And I think that has to do with the fact that. The sand fairy is like, listen, people just used to wish for dinosaurs to eat. It was a simpler time. Everything was easier. <laughs> Why are you making it so complicated, like wishing to be beautiful? Um, because, of course, they don't turn to stone. They just get unbeautiful. Right. I feel, um, I feel like if you're trying to wish for food, though, like dinosaurs, maybe not the ideal <laughs> meal. Like maybe something more manageable would be a better choice yeah like bacon yeah just like give me a, a bronto burger already like i don't need there a you whole go brontosaurus yeah just a nice good bronto burger mm-hmm. um so the next day they show up and their wish and i quote we wish to be rich beyond the dreams of avarice okay <laughs> these are some freaking erudite kids and I mean, one of them's named hillary saint <laughs> that's the Cloud baby though bo whatever i don't know and the and the sand fairy is like, yo, I don't even understand what you're saying. How much money do you want? Do you want it in gold or in pounds? And they're like, oh, well, I don't know. And he's like, how about enough to fill the gravel pit? And they're like, okay. okay. And he says, you better start running or else you're going to get crushed by all the money. And they get out of the way. And there's just a pile of like gold coins that have like little like spades on them. Um, it's very ducktails. What? Yeah. So what do you think the problem is, Andrew? Like, I don't know. What do you do with a bunch of money that's just in a hole and it's probably not legal tender? <laughs> exactly. And they can't carry all of it. So they shove their pockets with all this gold and then they go into town and try to spend it. And no one wants to take their weird foreign money. And no one has change for a gold coin. Mm-hmm. And so they have to spend their normal money just to eat, of course, because they're always eating. Kids always be eating. And the thing, here's something I forgot to mention. Before, this is a, an important rule for the book. Before they make the second wish, they have the sand fairy make it so that the maid can't see the effects of any of the wishes. So they don't, so the big problem was that they went home as beautiful strangers and the maid didn't recognize them. And so they have it control the wishes so that if they like came home as beautiful strangers, the maid would still think that they were their normal selves, right? Okay. This becomes important in the money wish when they try to buy a horse and the guy selling horses is like, you clearly stole all this gold, you children. Where did you get it from? I'm going to call the cops. <laughs> and the cops take them to the police station. The maid shows up to get them and literally can't see the money. And is like, what are you talking about? What is all? There's no money here. These kids didn't steal anything. And then the sun goes down, and lo and behold, all the money disappears anyway. Okay. 
So it sounds like that one was uh, kind of a wash. Kind of a wash. They're kind of bummed out that they spent some of their actual money <laughs> to like buy some buns to eat or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, the next day, they're like mad about their little baby brother. And the maid has left the, the lamb with them. And they're trying to eat their breakfast and discuss what discuss what wish to use. And he's like knocking everything over. And they're like, oh, I hate this baby. This baby sucks so much. And they take the baby out into the gravel pit. I Here's the thing I like about kids' movies and, and stories, Andrew, is when kids have to take care of other kids and they do it bad. Okay. Um, the, the baby like sticks his head in the sand in the gravel pit and then starts crying about it. And the only liquid that they have to wash the sand out of his face is ginger beer. Okay. So they pour ginger beer in his eyes, uh-huh. which stings because it's ginger beer. Uh huh. It's kids are bad at taking care of kids. Wait, remind me where their parents are while all this is happening. Okay, so their dad is away on business. All oh, right. Yeah, you said business dad. And mother is off dealing with grandmama because grandmama is sick. So Just for days and days and days, these so kids every are left di- to yes. their own devices. The maid is around, but largely just lets them like roam around the countryside. They just have to come home at the end of the day, and if they have the baby with them, they better bring the baby home. Um, case in point, they go to the sand fairy again, and it's they're in the like area of it, and one of the brothers who's mad about the whole ginger beer incident says i only wish everybody did want him with all their hearts we might get some peace in our lives uh-huh lo and behold everybody in the planet wants this baby now <laughs> so <laughs> so they encounter like a rich woman on a carriage and she steals the baby and then like problem they... solved right well but the problem is at sunset no one is going to want the baby anymore and the baby's just going to be lost to just make sure that you track where the person goes with the baby and then get him back at the end of the day. But see, they also now love the baby more. And so they are, they feel compelled to save the baby, Mm -hmm. of course, um, or they're going to get in trouble, I guess. And this, this chapter, like, okay, some other people try to steal the baby. So-and-so whatever it does run into a situation where there are legit gypsies that try to steal the baby. Okay. Which is like a, not great trope and rumor and fear um but the sun goes down and the gypsies are like hey listen kids we don't actually steal babies unlike how you've been told so like get your kid and get out of here mm-hmm. <laughs> like this cool thanks for having thanks for hanging out with us but get out of here we got a couple more wishes one is that uh they wish for wings so that they could fly that's like a pretty standard wish right Right. Yeah, like flying and invisibility and like your basic superpowers. Yeah, and so they get these cool like giant rainbow wings that just like burst out of their back like X-Men and they fly around and it's super cool. And lo and behold, Andrew, they get hungry uh-huh. and food ruins all of these wishes. So they like spot a church and they steal some food from the church and like leave a weird note where they're like, we were some hungry angels. Here's a half pence for all the food that we stole. Mm-hmm. And then they go on top of the church and fall asleep from all the food they ate. And they wake up after sunset and their wings are gone and they're stuck there. So they just, they blew it. I guess you just wish for wings the next day though. This is like the wily coyote problem where 
Well, but it they feels can't like get... it feels like every time that he like he tries something, he just throws throws a baby out with the bathwater and starts all over again. Like these kids could wish for wings again the next day and just do it right this time. That's true. I mean, first they have to like get themselves home from this church that they're stranded on. Yeah, but like whatever, no big deal. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, there is one like thing that happens there that like stays through some of the other stories where the gamekeeper who takes them home uh, ends up starting a relationship with the maid and like that carries through. So like a lot of these wishes, as you're saying, end up like kind of wiping the slate clean again afterwards. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that like a relationship between us ancillary characters gets started and then like stays. So is there like a, a like an overarching story that we need to be paying attention to here, or is this just a, a collection of... of short stories in which kids get wishes that they don't well, really not... understand how to take advantage of? Sure. Well, it's not short stories because they're they're not they're not pitched as disconnected. It is a book about a you know it's a series it's a chapter book. Like, right, but like are... is, is it like. <sighs> There are... There's no big bad. There's no like we need to use the wishes to save our mom. Or... It, just, it feels like it's it's episodic, and it's not like there is serialization insofar as the the things happen in sequence and and like you don't like reset and start from zero again like the next wish that you make. But it also sounds like it's it's mostly just a bunch of little stories. Yeah, it's mostly a bunch of little stories. I think it's meant to be digested that way in a like cuz the like a bedtime story setting. Yeah, cuz the narrator does occasionally make reference to like pronounce it this way if you're reading it out loud, like kind of as a little bit of a goof, mm-hmm. but the idea that you might be reading this to or with your kid is certainly present in the writing. Um one or two of the things that develop over the course of the book is like how they are attempting to get better at wishes and they don't they're always bad at them i think because they think that they can get better at it and they're and they're bad and part of it is that they they want a thing in a moment and then they end up like wasting a wish that happens a number of times okay um, i mean it's just like real life yeah basically yeah um there's one where and a, a couple times characters go on their own to speak to the sand fairy and be like, yo, but like, what is the deal? Can we be better at this? Mm-hmm. Are you trolling us? Mm-hmm. Um, and one day Robert goes and he asks if one of, he inadvertently ends up wishing that one of his siblings can get a wish without having to come to the Sand Fairy at all. And this is a thing that then continues, is that now they, whatever the wish that they make at the beginning of the day is just the thing that happens, mm-hmm. <laughs> which they don't even need to go to the sand fairy at all. Um, and this chapter is kind of like, I don't need to go into it, except that the weird, like, extra-dimensional stuff with the maid happens. So they wish that they could live in a besieged castle, which, of course, creates a bunch of, like, troops and knights that are attacking their house. The problem here, Andrew, is that the maid doesn't know that she's in a castle. Okay. And can't see the castle or any of the trappings. So at one point she prepares food for them and all the food is invisible. Like in like in Hook? Like in the movie Hook? Basically like in the movie Hook. Let me just, just see if I can find the page where the kid has to bite the air to find dinner. 
Okay, bangerang. Um, so he, Cyril is trying to eat food, this like invisible food. Cyril stood up with a grin of triumph, holding a square piece of bread in his mouth. It was quite real. Everyone saw it. It is true that directly he bit a piece off, the rest vanished. But it was all right because he knew he had it in his hand, though he could neither see nor feel it. He took another bite from the air between his fingers, and it turned into bread as he bit. The next moment, all the others were following his example and opening and shutting their mouths an inch or so from their bare-looking table. Robert captured a slice of mutton and... But I think I will draw a veil over the rest of this painful scene. It is enough to say that they all had enough mutton, and that when Martha came to change the plates, she said she had never seen such a mess in all her born days. <laughs> so you get you get a couple different flavors there. Like you get the little bit of the narrator being like, "Okay, I can gloss over this stuff if I need to." Um, you get just like weird kid nonsense that happens, um, and I, I, a, an overarching thing is I am kind of fascinated by the weird wish rule that certain people can observe it and others can't and the like twisting that nesbit has to do to make that work yeah like that's that's why i want to know what the what the rules of these wishes are because it doesn't seem it seems like they've been kept intentionally vague so she can just do whatever she wants basically which is not like an an invalid way to approach fantasy (laughs) no uh it does allow them to get some like get some goofs in so one story uh involves robert like getting beat up by a kid in town and then wishing he was bigger than him and so he's like 10 feet tall uh-huh um it's like a goosebumps book i guess yeah that's kind of and they end up like trying to make money off of him at a freak show it doesn't go great uh but so when he's interacting with martha like the maid she has no idea that he's that big and like doesn't feed him enough food for like an 11 foot tall boy um and then later so here's the one i definitely want to share with you andrew they when you said that hillary saint more Devereux sounded like a, a jerk it's because he is okay so they get mad at their little baby brother again and in a in a fit of anger they wish that he would just grow up now oh no <laughs> is it like an adult with like baby like baby thoughts no it's it becomes an adult but the transformation sequence is kind of awful um the faithful sammy was true to its promise and there before the horrified eyes of its brothers and sisters the lamb suddenly and violently grew up it was the most terrible moment the change was not so sudden as the wish changes usually were the baby's face changed first it grew thinner and larger. Lines no. came in the forehead. No. The eyes grew more deep set and darker in color. No. The Just mouth like grew longer and thinner. Most terrible of all, a little dark mustache appeared on the lip of one oh, who was no. still, except as to the face, a two-year-old baby in a linen smock and white open-work socks. No, a mustache baby. <laughs> and then after they've all averted their eyes, he becomes like a 20-year-old man. With like a crazy libido who ends up like accosting a woman, and the the goof at the end of this chapter is that when they finally convince him to come home with them, the maid sees him and starts talking to him like a baby, and she can like pick him up like he's a baby and like carries him inside, and then the sun goes down, and he's a baby again, so that's that's not great. No, that's awful. <laughs> it's some like David Cronenberg body horror nonsense. Yeah, I don't like that. Like even a little bit. <laughs> so she's pretty good at like uh 
descriptive writing. I would. She's pretty good at the kids' reactions to the wishes, um, both the good ones and the bad ones. And kind of really, I think if there's an overall theme to these wishes, is that you you can't cut corners. Uh huh. Because that's what most wishes are. It's like, I wish I had this thing now. I wish I had this thing that is better than what I have, but I don't want to do any of the work for it. So I want all all this money. Well, you didn't earn it, and you, you got all this money in a vacuum so you can't spend it. Mm-hmm. Or I wish my baby brother wasn't a jerk. I wish he'd just grow up. Well, now he's a grown-up jerk. And, <laughs> and they talk about like whether or not, now that they've learned that if he just to turn into an adult now like he's an idiot like do they need to bully him more (laughs) do they need to be nicer to him Mm -hmm. like they they get a sense of oh well the next 14 years of his life are going to actually be important it's not just somebody that i hate um i guess that doesn't quite apply to this to the chapters with like wings and stuff but when they are wishing for like tangible things that will benefit their lives as opposed to some of the like goofier ones. Um, there is this sense that like, you know, wishes don't work because there's a reason that they're not real. Like, you, you, it's not just the secret. You have to do the work. Well, because I feel like ideally wishes to really, to for you to really get what you want, like you need to have a, you need to run them by a committee. You need to submit like a draft <laughs> proposal. Like you need counsel. Ideally, yes. any wish would take like a full three months to to even come up with a with a draft. What would you wish for, Andrew? I don't know. I don't want to say what I would wish for because probably someone would turn it against me in some weird way. Hmm. I would do. I would do that thing where I would like. I would end up like wishing for time, and then. I would slowly go mad as like I was immortal, but everyone around me died or something like I or 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 you would just get like every day FedEx would bring you like a box of clocks like every day. And you just get more and more clocks and you'd sit in your house and you're surrounded by these clocks and, and Laura leaves you and you don't have any friends because nobody oh. wants to go over to your crazy ticking clock house and you just sit and all you hear is the ticking and the ticking and the ticking oh, and God. day after day, month after month, year after year, the ticking maddening. My hands are full with clocks. Wishes are just wishes are hard. Wishes are hard. You don't have a wish. Would, I do you have, have like a listen i have wishes i'm just not like if there are any genies listening or anything okay. i'm not i'm not putting it out there because i don't want to get like the bad version <laughs> okay i'm just trying to get you to share a little bit about because that, that's i'm just saying that's the type of wish that i would i would wish i i know that if i were like what is the thing i value most i would probably wish for something to do with like giving me more time listen right? i get it I get it. And it's not that I don't have wishes. It's that you're not going to get me this time. Okay. This is not how I go down. I don't go down wishing for like more time spent with my friends or something. And then all of a sudden, like we can't not spend time. (laughs) Oh no. Like I don't like, I'm not, there are just so many pitfalls. I'm not interested. Okay. Okay. And I, I think that the, the stumbling upon a wish. So one of the things that this book does, it moves from coming to the, you know, genie like figure and saying a thing that you've prepared 
into um, the kids thinking that that's not the best way to get wishes done. I wish I could just wish for something when I want it. And then that obviously causes more problems. So that that's how they get into more of the like, oh my God, I didn't even want to wish for that problems. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it's not explicit. And usually monkey's paw stories gin that up where it's like, oh, I didn't know that I had the monkey paw in my pocket when I wished for my dad to be cool and now he's an ice cube. Like, didn't know that that was going to happen. Or what if he's ice cube? <laughs> Would that be a bad thing? No, it's just like it's a creative interpretation of the wish, Craig. This is what you like. I'm surprised you read this whole book and you're not even thinking what? in the right in the right way about these wishes yet. Like you're being so cavalier about it, and I just that's, don't get it. That's true. That's true. Um, there is a chapter in this book that I'm not a huge fan of, or is okay, and it's me... not the weird baby growth <laughs> fetish chapter. No. Okay. Uh, and I guess I should I should amend my statement. It's a tougher chapter to read with a 21st century sensibility. Let's say mm-hmm. um, there is a chapter where the wi- the accidental wish comes from someone reading like Last of the Mohicans or something, and wishes for quote Red Indians to be in England, okay. and uh, then they have to like f- almost they almost get scalped by a, a tribe of Nate like Native Americans and they try to like disguise themselves as them first by like putting feathers on their head and like painting their faces um it's just not what I was disappointed that the book didn't like turn at the end and have them not be like just villains mm-hmm. um because like the gypsy thing gave me a similar like oh this isn't great and then the gypsies ended up being cool. Um, I was surprised that this chapter was just like, no, they they do want to kill these kids. Um, and the uh, the only reason that they go away is that they're accidentally standing where the sand fairy is. And they like wish that they could kill them on their own soil. And then they like get apparated away or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that's harder to read because you're like, mm, maybe we don't say Red, red Indian Maybe we don't just assume like the best phrase. Yeah. Maybe we don't just assume that an entire civilization of people uh, is out to scalp kids. Like that's just not great. Um, No. So if you're if you're you know, be prepared. If you're going to read this with your kid, just like have have a plan for what you want to say about that. I think that happens when you read any book that's old enough. Yeah. So I just want people to know that it's in there because I was like uh, I was on such a groove with this book, I made it through the body horror chapter and then I ran aground <laughs> on, on the red Indian chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it comes to an end with them making an accidental wish about their mom getting some like stolen diamonds or something. And it's gonna like, uh, it's a mess. Haven't learned a single thing. No, they Come really on. haven't. So they end up going to uh, see the sand fairy and they get it to like fix all the busted wishes and it makes them promise that they will not that they will wish to never be able to tell anyone about him and and here's why and, and won't I won't that go away at sunset that's a good point andrew huh did you had you not thought about that one before no i really hadn't huh, and i right. did i did think about that with the wish that the maid wouldn't see the effects of wishes 
and that one pervades through the entire book. So see so, again, playing a little loosey goosey with these rules. Playing here. a little loosey goosey with these wish rules, but I'm not sure that I was prepared for the Sand Fairy's political views, which crop up <laughs> at the okay. end here. That's a good sentence. <laughs> so I mean, is the um, Sand Fairy very socialist? Because that was her jam. I don't think that the Sand Fairy is. So get this real quick. Just wish, will you, that you may never be able, any of you, to tell anyone a word about me. And Jane asks why. And he says, Why, don't you see? If you told grown ups I should have no peace I should have no peace of my life, they'd get hold of me, and they wouldn't wish silly things like you do, but real earnest things. And the scientific people would hit on some way of making things last after sunset, as likely as not, and they'd ask for a graduated income tax, and old age pensions, and manhood suffrage, and free secondary education, and dull things like that. And get them <laughs> and keep them, and the whole world would be turned topsy turned. <laughs> adults would wish for world peace and and medicare for everybody and like ugh. a libertarian sand demon <laughs> they'd wish for the end of the military industrial complex and boring stuff like that oh so boring so boring adults they're uh, <laughs> wasn't prepared for a for this book to make a hard turn against old age pensions <laughs> which i don't think i don't think nesbitt probably is um, i think it's just the the sand demon doesn't like it knows the policy is hard it just doesn't want to it doesn't want to get drawn into that stuff eventually it, it just gets sent to parliament and it has to where <laughs> it dies yeah <laughs> uh, occasionally this like gulf between adults and kids gets brought up in the book, it gets brought up at the beginning of the book that like um, little kids will believe whatever you tell them. <laughs> Obviously, uh, Nesbit does make a like reference that like girls will believe things easier than boys, and I'm not sure what she means by that, but okay. Um, she does okay. So here's from the beginning of the book: children will believe almost anything, and grown-ups know this. That is why they tell you that the Earth is round like an orange when you can see perfectly well that it is flat and lumpy. And why they say that the earth goes around the sun when you can see for yourself any day that the sun gets up in the morning and goes to bed at night like a good sun as it is. And the earth knows its place and lies as still as a mouse. Uh, Yet, um, I dare say you believe all that about the earth and the sun. And if so, you will find it quite easy to believe that before Anthean, Cyril, and the others had been a week in the country, they had found a fairy. Um, So that's the setup for like you as a kid are willing to believe this stuff. So extend that belief. Like you're to, willing, you're willing to believe what contradicts the evidence that you think that you see and experience in the world. Yes, you, I don't think that Nesbit is like you don't propagating think some flat like, earthism. And I, and I and I bet you kids believe that vaccines don't cause autism too. You stupid kids. I don't think I don't think that's what she's doing. So I don't even know if vaccines have been invented by 1902. I don't think. I did have to double check where we were with human flight when the kids were super excited about flying. I don't think we had really done much of it yet. We were like, we were like, using like some we balloons were a, we and gliders. We were a long time away from, from commercializing it, sir. Yeah, so we were a few years out from the Wright Brothers when this book was published. Yeah, so vaccines still, are like, yeah. like a 50s thing. 1950s. Good old Jonas Salk. Yeah, 1950s. Yeah, yeah. So the, definitely. I, I, didn't, I didn't read that sentence that you just made up because it's definitely on this page. Mm-hmm. Um, but that this that uh, gulf between what the kids would wish and what the adults would wish is 
analogous to like kids being able to believe in this story and derive meaning from it. I think I get a vibe of that from Lewis as well, except I don't, I couldn't quote a passage to you. I don't know if you remember any strongly, any more strongly, but just that sense that like you're a kid, you can you can buy this book. Like you can get into into this because you believe all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And kids are more willing to do that anyway because kids are cool. Sure. Except, as this book points out, kids are also idiots who don't know what to do with wishes. Yep. Um. So yeah, that's that's the book. No, I guess vaccines existed, kind of. I don't know. Okay, anyway. live live fact checking on this podcast. This is yeah. Um, I asked uh folks on our Facebook facebook.com dot com pod for some other wish stories that they remembered. Um, there's the fisherman and his wife. There, somebody cited Alexander's No Good Horrible Day, but there's no wishes in that. I don't. I think he just wishes that he didn't have such a no good horrible day. <laughs> I think that's true. Uh, there's the Eyes of Kid Midas. There's a book called Half Magic, which is actually inspired by Five Children in it. Um, and then your favorite, Andrew, there was Be Careful What You Wish For by Goosebumps. Of well, course. not by Goosebumps. Oh, sorry. Is that what I said? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you idiot. It's not by Goosebumps. <laughs> By old Bob Stein, our good pal, your pal sure. and mine. But as we said before, I think all, most of these stories, and certainly wish stories, date back to stuff like uh, Thousand and One Nights and all sorts of different folk tales of like, like, like Mister Goosebumps said, "Be careful what you wish for." <laughs> like, it's all about needing legal counsel to craft to to outsmart a genie, and then of course you're going to mess it up anyway. Yeah, like I know that you want me to tell you what i would wish for but like no <laughs> that, not, is that do not you today live your life that way just in case there's like a genie around the corner when you're just walking around do you mean like i would never tell anybody my wishes yeah i mean it is we are recording this for an audience of thousands of people so like Chances are there's a genie is higher than like, like just you and statistically I. like there's a greater chance than if like you and I were just sitting in a room talking. You might tell me your wishes, but like generally, just in case, like I don't, I don't know. I would need I would need there to be like a like a contract signed and <laughs> terms agreed to up front. Sure, I need I, there I, to be a return policy of some oh, sort. Oh, also, like that's vital. I, Return policy, warranty, mm, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. I find that that is very useful to wishes. I find it very boring as a reader. If someone's like, here are all my stipulations on this wish. I don't live in a book. (laughs) You would live in a Nintendo, though. This is real life. No, don't tell me to live in a Nintendo, because if I wish to live in a Nintendo, who knows what would happen to me? You'd become Captain N, the Game Master. I'd become Captain N, the Game Master, and my life would get threatened all the time by the goombas and stuff <laughs> okay seems reasonable like in real like if you're in real life and you gotta stomp on goombas like jumping is hard on your knees mm. and eventually mm-hmm. mario's just gonna get arthritis and then that's gonna be the end of the game i think he's had the same pair of shoes for a real long time too mm, wearing yeah. out those soles yeah bad arches anyway that's Thanks for book. listening to our stupid podcast. That's the book about wishes. It's a it's a really fun book. Um, I could. I, I'm glad I bought a hard copy of it because it's certainly something that I would I would want to like give to a kid or read to a kid. 
Okay. It's a fun it's a fun book because these kids are dumb. <laughs> yeah. I guess I, I think like getting to talk about this book with a kid would be pretty fun. That right. would be a cool that would be mm. a cool thing. No, there would be like th- there would be a lot of questions. Just a lot of questions about different <laughs> stuff. Yeah. A lot of like, why does it work this way? And you what would if they have did this? no idea. You just you have to make it all up as you go. I will say that I I I think other books in this like vein, um, certainly in Lewis, which is one of my few reference points, the children feel a little bit more distinct. Um, in this book, there's not as much differentiation between the kids. Like okay. they don't, that's, I mean, that's fine. There's like that baby that sucks, and then there's everybody else. Yeah, and part of it is that there's not a like MacGuffin-based plot or some other sort of overarching plot where like the individual qualities of the kids would matter. It is really just about like each of them gets to take a turn making a crappy wish, right? And then exactly. You see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 two uh, girls do seem to be smarter than the boys. Um, checks out. So. Typical, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you know about a wish book that we didn't mention uh, or that we should go check out, or you just want to share your wishes with us because you're braver than Andrew, you can find us on social media at uh, twittercom pod or facebookcom pod. Uh, you can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Thanks to a whole bunch of people for reaching out, including Andrea, who's working through our back catalog, Becky, Stephanie, Susanna, Nora, who recommended this book uh, through Patreon, Paul, Sheila, Trina, Laura, Morgan, Jake, Wendy, Meg, Starfish Chick, Sarah, Jonathan, Grace, Rochelle, and Rebecca. Uh, Thanks, y'all, for reaching out. Andrew, if folks need to know more about our show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website and our our hub on the World Wide Web. Uh, Up there, you got links to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and RSS. If you could subscribe in iTunes, do rate and review us because it helps us rise in them rankings and it makes us feel good about ourselves. Um, we've also got links to the Patreon page that Craig mentioned, to HeadGum, our podcast network, Spreaker, our podcast host. We have a list of the books that we have read and are going to read. If you want to read along, you can click those and, and buy the books, and we get a little cut of that help support the show. Um, I think that's pretty much it on the website. I know we have two live shows coming up in July um, in, on the 15th in Boston with our friends over at the unfriendly black hotties. You can find out more about that at bit.ly slash overdue hotties. Mm-hmm. And then we have one a week after that happening at the Philadelphia podcast festival. So uh, phillypodfest.com, I believe is the URL for that. Yeah. Well, and we'll, we'll be doing that one. There's a Facebook event. You can go look up more information there. Andrew, what are you reading for next week? I'm reading Cushiel's Dart by Jacqueline Carey, and it's a sassy. It's a sassy book. It's a what? It's very sassy. I don't... What word are you saying? very sensual. Oh, it's sensual. Yes. I look forward to it. It's very sexy. Actually, I don't look forward to it now that you said that. I don't. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Until next week, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.